once we announced that our daughter was born the way she was premature and we put it on Facebook, social media, and a lot of work colleagues jumped on, they started asking questions. And I found that made life a lot easier. So instead of worrying about how she is at hospital while you're doing, you know, your eight-hour day, I found talking to other people made it a lot easier. Whether I was comfortable with doing it or not, I just found it made it easier. Definitely talking to, to as many people as possible, you know, just put it, put it out there. And that was times I'd, you know, well up and whatever at work and they're sort of like looking at me a different side. And, but I think that really helped during that first couple of weeks. G'day and welcome to the Dads of the NICU podcast. My name is Matt Bilkowski and I'm a proud father of a premature baby born at 25 weeks at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Our daughter was 766 grams or 1 pound 11 ounces at birth. Our superstar girl spent 84 days in the NICU and 14 days in special care before being discharged home on oxygen. I started this podcast as I wanted to share my experiences with other dads, the aim of which is to allow them to hear what other dads went through and to find a connection to our stories so that they know that they are not alone and what they're feeling and going through is normal. I hope it helps you on your journey. G'day dads and welcome to today's episode. Today I chat with Luke Botel a father that I met on a tour of the NICU the day before my daughter was born. This meeting turned out to be a huge sliding doors moment for the two of us as our NICU journeys took two very different paths. Luke opens up about his journey and talks to us about what he felt and what he experienced and what he went through during his time in the NICU. Well, g'day Luke. Thanks so much for joining me today. Mate, firstly, how are you? How's, how's everything going now that you're at home? Actually, it's been really, really good. Like, firstly, um, you know, I've been on leave for pretty much six weeks now so it's been good to spend that quality time with her at home so yeah it's been really really good happy days now if my memory serves me correctly we met on a tour of the NICU with our wives while they were still admitted uh, up to the maternity ward my daughter was born on the very next day but your journey started in a very different way can you take us through the lead into your NICU journey and a snapshot of your NICU journey yeah so basically like you just touched on there we met on that um NICU tour um and then we made it another two weeks and three days from memory yes two weeks and three days which was you know obviously good you know Peter got to get her steroids on board and get that process rolling for lung development and that sort of stuff um and then Peter had an appointment on the 6th of December 2019 and it was just your normal obstetric review appointment and she was feeling pain in the belly and it was a weird sort of pain um they you know at that um particular time they didn't weren't really concerned about it so what they ended up doing at the end of that appointment was sending her upstairs to Ork and they did a scan they couldn't see anything really on that scan um so they decided they were going to do another scan which had to be done the next day so, um, and then it all hell broke loose from there. So about, I left the hospital about 7 p.m. that Friday night, um, got home about 8, 8.30, did my normal, you know, stuff, feed the dogs and all that sort of thing, go to bed. And then about 2 a.m. I was, uh, my phone started ringing and then I was sort of like, 
looked at the phone and saw it was a private number and I'm like, well, there's only one place that would be calling at that time and lo and behold, it was the Royal Brisbane um, and that's pretty much where everything went, you know, changed forever. So um, basically, yeah, just the call was very brief and it was basically um, something's happened with Peter. She's had to have surgery, emergency surgery. Um, you sort of basically need to get to the hospital. So, you know, I live at Redcliffe, the Royal's in the centre of Brisbane. So I'm roughly a 25 minute, half an hour drive away. Um, so yeah, it was basically out of bed, put the dog out the back and then rushed to the hospital. Um, and then had to go upstairs to level five, level six to the maternity ward. I was met there by a nurse. Um, and then we were taken downstairs to the surgery recovery room. Nothing was really explained to me. Um, and it wasn't really, you know, even with the uh, recovery nurses, there wasn't much said to me at all at that stage. I, you know, um, yeah, I was sort of didn't know where I was at. You know, the drive was probably one of the scariest drives I've ever had. You know, the half an hour felt like it was an hour and a half, you know, all the emotions running through your mind, not knowing, you know, is my wife okay? Is my daughter okay? You know, made the calls to my parents and her parents to inform her that, you know, she had to have surgery, but once again, couldn't give any other information other than that. Um, and I think it was about, I got there about 2.30, um, down in the waiting room and then the doctor come out just before Peter come out to recovery and just basically said, you know, um, her she had a placenta abruption, which is basically the placenta ripped off the uterus wall um, and obviously um, started having internal bleeding and they basically had to be delivered. So Lulani had to be delivered. Um, that's all I got told, um, all I got told, Peter was fine. Nothing was said about Lulani, which put me in a little bit more of a fret because there was obviously two different teams in the surgery room. You had the people looking after Peter and then the neonatal doctors looking after Lulani. Um, so then I guess one of the biggest things that hit me the most was when Peter came out to recovery and, rear, and you know, the wielder next to me and she was starting to come out of that anesthesia and, um, yeah, her first words was, how was Lulani? And I I recall it to this day, that, you know, I, I turned away and I couldn't answer her. You know, it was just one of those things I couldn't give her an answer because I didn't know, um, which was scary. Um, yeah, so I just, just told her that she just needed to concentrate on getting better, you know, obviously, you know, relaxing and, you know, you, you've just had major surgery, you need to do that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and I think it was about five o'clock or just before five rolled around, um, the doctor come back again and they said that Lulani had to be resuscitated, so she was without oxygen for about three minutes. Um, they had 30 seconds of compressions on her and then apparently once that happened, she responded really, really well and that's where we led into the NICU journey. So at that stage, I was completely just, you know, lack of sleep, emotions running wild. You know, I'm torn between is my wife okay, is my daughter okay? And even them saying she was stable, I still didn't know if she was okay. Um, 
and then yeah, we let in through there, and they said once she's stabilised and the NICU room was sorted and all the lines and all that sort of stuff and hooked up to the incubator and all that sort of stuff, um, we could go in and see her. And I remember walking. So they come back about five thirty, and I remember walking through this sort of like maze through the back way to get into NICU, not knowing where I was going. And, you know, obviously you do the process of, you know, hand washing, putting the gown on and whatever. And then I just remember standing there looking at her and just, you know, just couldn't believe that she was alive and okay. And, yeah, and then the first encounter with the nurse, like there was no doctor there at the time. So it was just um, one of the intensive care nurses and she just made it all at ease. Like, you know, you're in that moment of raw emotion and, pretty well being fragile and you know I asked her probably a thousand questions and she tried to answer the best she could but obviously there was answers she couldn't couldn't answer for me so um but yeah I recall her opening up the um the isolate and um yeah she's like put your hand you know put your hand in and and I was like oh no no I don't really want to you know things petrified, scared sort of thing. No, no, I mean, you know, am I going to hurt her? Am I going to break her? And she goes, no, she's fine. She's strong sort of thing. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember putting my uh, finger finger in the palm of my daughter's hand and instantly, you know, she's not even, well, she's three hours old and she just wraps her, her hand around my finger. And, you know, in that moment, I, I sort of had a sense of, yeah, this is going to be okay. This is our journey. So that's pretty much the snapshot to how it started. So it was pretty hectic for the first, yeah, <laughs> five hours or six hours of of that day. You know, so. Oh, mate, I'm I'm speechless after after that. I, I knew I knew parts of the story that you'd told me previously, yeah. but hearing it mm. like that again, blow by blow, and just so raw is just it's unbelievable. How how did you process that in the first couple of hours, the first day, the first night? What, what was going through your head at that time? I think that was probably the biggest thing. I didn't process any of it. I just went with it. I think that was probably me as a person. I'm one to you either you, you deal with it then and there and just move forward. Like you just keep moving forward. So you take it as it comes and move forward or you, or you deal with that situation as it comes. But, um, you know, I just basically, I guess my main concern was why well, my wife's got some other medical conditions. My main concern was, was she okay? Because of, you know, she's got a blood clotting disease where big surgeries like that and internal bleeding and all that sort of stuff is a massive thing. And knowing how close I was to losing both of them was probably the most difficult thing to deal with. But being at the hospital... And in those first couple of days at the hospital around my wife was, I guess, quite easy. It was when I was at home by myself was probably the hardest because that's when you really start to sit back and think about the, you know, what could have happened. But I guess I learned early on there was no point doing that because at the end of the day they were both here and they were both well. So did your... Um, emotions ever catch up with you you were saying you just tried to process it and keep processing it and just keep moving forward was there a moment at any stage where it just got too much for you or it really started like sort of the the cup overfilled with water so to speak yeah it did um but it was geez it was weeks in so my wife started stayed 
two weeks in hospital because of obviously her medical conditions. And it wasn't in that two weeks. I think it was roughly about five weeks into the journey where, you know, we'd just been up at the hospital. I, I do recall everything was fine. You know, it was just going about that normal thing. And I just think at that point, everything just, you know, hit me sort of thing. You know, I sort of in a way fell apart and had lots of tears and my wife was there and, you know, she told me I could, you know, it was all right to break down and be upset and all that sort of stuff. But I just, I guess, as you know, being being a male, you try and not express your feelings or your emotions. So, you know, and I guess I had it in my head that I had to be there for both of them. I had to be the strong one because of, you know, Lulani needed strength, Peter needed strength in that particular early part of the time. And I guess once I felt comfortable that Peter was fine, and things like that. Um, yeah, obviously it all just caught up. And then, yeah, it was just one night. I had, to, you know, just going through, as you do, you take a bucket load of photos and just going through and, yeah, just all caught up and had a big cry in the lounge for about probably about half an hour. But, but I guess that's all a part of the journey as well, you know, and you growing as a person as well, you know, you're dealing with something that you've never dealt with it's been thrown in your face and yeah. So yeah, probably about five or six weeks into it. That sort of hit me. So how did you feel after that moment? Did it feel like a really good release? Did you feel much better after it? Did it put you at ease or did you, did you think, wow, is this going to keep happening? Will this happen again tomorrow? Um, was there anything that then changed you from that point forward? My mindset to the whole journey didn't change. So I always kept the same mindset of from day one right through till the end. So it was good to get it off my chest in a sense of my wife was in a good place. So, you know, it wasn't, I guess, a burden on her, me being an emotional wreck. So, yeah, in, in a way it was good to get it off my chest, but I just, like, like I said earlier, I just move on sort of thing. So... So what did you do mental health-wise to try and stay positive and keep a clear mind throughout the journey, knowing that you needed to look after Peter as much as you could so then both yourself uh, and Peter were, were fit to look after Lulani? Well, normally me, I wouldn't really share much with people unless it was obviously my family or whatever. But during that period, I still I was still working. So I was going to the hospital in the morning and then of an evening as well. And I found... Once we announced that our daughter was born the way she was, premature, and we put it on Facebook, social media, and a lot of work colleagues jumped on, they started asking questions. And I found that made life a lot easier. So instead of worrying about how she is at hospital while you're doing, you know, your eight-hour day, I found talking to other people made it a lot easier. Whether I was comfortable with doing it or not, I just found... It made it easier. Definitely talking to, to as many people as possible, you know, just put it, put it out there. And that was times I'd, you know, well up and whatever at work and they're sort of like looking at me on a different side. And But I think that really helped during that first couple of weeks. Luke, what would have been one of the hardest aspects of being inside the NICU for you along, along your journey? Um, I think it's just the whole process. Like every day was Groundhog Day to a certain extent and, and it was hard like you'd have 
you'd have some small wins, but then you'd have some setbacks. And I think the setbacks were the toughest, even though they weren't really that big of a deal medically, but I guess to us emotionally was tough. So, yeah, they that would have probably been the hardest part of it. On the flip side, what was what was a highlight or what was a good aspect of the the trouble that you were facing inside the NICU? Guess the best thing was like at first was obviously you know you guys were basically two weeks and three days ahead of us, so you know we we met on that tour. So then you know when when we could we you know have a chat to you guys, and then as you know the mothers do, they tend to you know they go to the the breastfeeding room and they would get into that and you know start talking. So you start to gain that social network within the NICU, which made life a hell of a lot easier. Some of the bonds you made with nurses and, you know, what they did to make it at ease, especially, you know, you'd you'd go into a room and the room would be very bubbly from the nurses and you'd have this sense of calmness going in there and, you know, it's in a way you'd sort of forget it was a neonatal intensive care unit. So you touch on the nurses and uh, the other medical staff there. What sort of impact did they have on your journey and your family's journey being in the NICU? Massive. It had a massive impact, um, especially for, my, well, for me as well, but also my wife. Like there was days where I was coming in after work and my wife would be sitting beside the isolate and where we were placed, we were right near the nurse's station. So, um you know, the conversation they were having, you know, having a laugh and a joke and, you know, for, for my wife being there, you know, staying in hospital and, you know, being downstairs for 12, 14 hours of the day, that made it so much easier. And, like, even even to this day, like, we've kept probably not the right thing to do, but we've kept in touch with some of the nurses because, you know, they've held quite a special bond with us, but also our daughter as well, you know, so. All right, well, let's talk some numbers. So what was Lulani's gestation when she was born? Uh, so she was 27 and 3. 27 and 3. And what was her birth weight? 917 grams. And then how long was she inside NICU and or special care and what was her discharge weight? Okay, so she was seven weeks in NICU and then we spent three weeks in special care. Two weeks of that was um, at the Royal and then we got back transferred for for a week to Redcliffe. Um, Her discharge weight, I'm unsure of. Oh, come on, surely you know that. (laughs) I can't can't remember that one. Um, It was decent. I know it was decent. Yeah, yeah. Happy days. Probably down three kilo mark, I'd say. Pretty big improvement there. So now, now Lulani's at home. You're trying to get back into your normal life and normal routine. How's the how's the transition been back into normality? Oh, the first couple of days was scary as hell. You know, like you don't have you're not relied on on the monitors and all that sort of stuff because you know when you're in there you're constantly looking at those bloody machines and. Yeah, the first couple of days are tough. You know, she'd be sleeping and you'd be sort of sleeping one eye open and then you'd be looking to see if there was a rise and a fall in the chest and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess as the time goes on, you become more and more comfortable as parents and comfortable with what you can do with raising a child. So, 
But other than that, no, it's been really, really good. That's happy to, and I love seeing all the photos out there. And I see she's got her own Facebook profile now. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that's no, that was one thing we wanted to wanted to do. So when she becomes old enough, and you know, we can give her those details if Facebook's even around then. But um, was something to capture, but also for us as well. So every year we get a reminder of that particular moment, what was happening that year three years ago. You, you know, like or on that day and just, yeah, we wanted to really emphasise that to her on how special she actually really is. And thinking to where you are now and how far you've come on your journey, do you still think about those days and think about how traumatic everything was for, for yourself and for Peter or do you feel you've, you've been able to process it now and you can just always look forward? Um, no, I think at the... Where we're at now, we're, we're pretty good in regards to that. But when people ask questions of, oh, gee, she's tiny and, and then those sort of things, that's when it starts to sort of creep back in of, of your journey. Um, but other than that, no, we just sort of move forward and just go from there. And now if you were in a room with 10 Niku dads that were still inside the Niku on their journey, what would be some of your pearls of wisdom or what would you provide them with some insights or advice uh, to get them through their process? I guess for me, one of the, um, the biggest keys, I think it was a nurse said to us early on was don't overhandle and trust the process. And, and we really took that on board like each child's different and we found with Lulani that the more times people had their hands in her isolate the worse she became so she hated it basically um she was left to her own devices and that's when she really really thrived so that was sort of the road we took with her throughout the whole journey was just trust the process and limit how many times we did have contact with them because I guess at the end of the day, I guess what you do tend to forget is as much as you want to hold your child every single day, they still need time to for their body to pinpoint what they need to try and I guess fix or, you know, if whether it's breathing or brain bleeds or, you know, the hernias or, you know, something that, you know, has happened due to being born premature. Um, yeah, the biggest thing was just trust the process. You know, just really trust the process. Don't get as hard as it is. Don't try not to get so overwhelmed and so upset that things aren't happening as quickly as you like. And that'd be my my biggest advice. And I think that worked well. Won't be for everyone, but that worked well for us definitely. And from the perspective of um, your your birth story and Peter's birth story was quite significant and, and very traumatic for especially Peter but for yourself not knowing what was going on on that drive in there and other births can just be quite standard um, in yeah. the grand scheme of things what advice would you yeah. give to a dad that's gone through a, a very traumatic first couple of days talk to people talk to as many people as possible it doesn't have to be professional help just talk to family friends or even work colleagues I guess that was the biggest thing I found was Constant chatter to people made it easier. You, you got it off your chest regularly. That's perfect, mate. I think um, I think your story is, is so unique that I think a lot of dads will really take a lot out of some of those diff- different aspects. So I really appreciate your time today, Luke, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
No problem. Thanks, Matt. Well, that's it for today, guys, and I hope you got something out of that episode. As always, please seek professional advice and help if you feel that you need it. I'm certainly not the answer. I'm just a means of helping out a little bit on your journey. If you like these episodes, please subscribe to Dads of the Nikoo to get all of the new episodes as soon as they're launched. And if you're keen for more content or looking for more resources, please follow our Instagram and Facebook accounts, both called Dads of the Nikoo. And if you have any questions or you'd like to share your insights or stories, please feel free to contact us by email on dadsofthenicu at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to wash your hands.